All right, brethren, it's certainly good to be back here at Grace Community Church once again to minister in the things of the Lord. And you know, I can't think of a better place that I'd rather be on a Monday night than with the saints, studying the Word of God. And so with that in mind, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you will bear with my folly for a few moments, I would like to begin with an unusual illustration that I came across some time ago. Suppose for a moment, if it were possible, that all of the thoughts that you have had for the past six months were flashed on a wide screen for all of your neighbors and Christian friends to see. And then let's say it was announced that there would be a viewing of this at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Probably most Christians would take a plane out the next morning. You see, we sometimes feel very uncomfortable with our actions. Sometimes we don't always do what we should be doing. We're not as gracious as we ought to be. Our attitude at times is not up to par. And so as a result of that, we would really prefer that others didn't know too much about us. But whether we realize it or not, there is a day coming, and perhaps that day is very near, that we are going to be raptured home to glory, and there we shall meet with the Lord. And this meeting is called the Judgment Seat of Christ. And all of us are going to have to give an, an account of all of those things that we have done in his body. And across heaven will be flashed all of our works and our service that we have rendered unto the Savior. The whole host of heaven will look on. The angels will be in the balconies, and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ will be summoned there. And we shall step up before the Lord one by one and give an, an account. It will be one of the most solemn moments in our lives. And so this evening, as we consider this subject of the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to divide it into three parts. First of all, we want to consider the fact of this judgment. Then secondly, the purpose of the judgment. And then finally, the effects that it will have upon us throughout all eternity. And that brings us to verse 10. Here the Apostle Paul writes these words to the saints at Corinth. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Here, the Apostle Paul introduces the Corinthians and us as well this evening to this phrase, the judgment seat of Christ. It is a dispensational phrase that is uniquely Pauline. It is a part of the collection of doctrines that we call the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we want you to be a Berean this evening. Don't take Pastor Sadler's word for it, but rather go to the Word of God and compare Scripture with Scripture. And you will find that this phrase is found nowhere else but in Paul's epistles. Therefore, it limits it to the members of the church, the body of Christ. From the raising up of the Apostle Paul until the last one that is placed in the body, all of those that we call the body of Christ will be made to appear at this judgment. It only pertains to the believers in the age of grace. And so then we must distinguish from the other judgments that are found in the Word of God, such as the judgment of the cross or the white throne judgment, which will pertain to all of the unbelievers at the end of the age. Again, even in this area, we must rightly divide the word of truth. And you know, I have found it interesting in my study of the scriptures that the Apostle Paul uses this phrase in the Corinthian letters more than in any of his other letters. And doubtless the reason for that is, is because the Corinthians were struggling in their Christian lives. They weren't very consistent. They weren't living godly lives in Christ Jesus. And so the apostle again and again and again challenges them that they need to live for the Lord, that they need to devote themselves, body, soul, and spirit to the gospel of the grace of God because too many of them were indulging in the things of the world and it was diminishing from their effectiveness as believers in Christ. But also Paul saw the long-term goal as well, that someday they would have to appear before the Lord and they would have to give an account of their actions. And so that's why he uses the phrase so frequently in the Corinthian letters. And you will note here that the apostle says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat. This is one appointment we are not going to miss. There are certain appointments in life that we enjoy canceling. But this is one that we are not going to miss. We will all be summoned there. And throughout the previous verses, Paul refers to we and to us, including himself. He is referring to those of us who have been saved by the riches of God's grace. Now, as we pause here for a moment, I was asked one time by a young person this question, and it was a good question, and it's a question you're probably going to be asked at some time or another as well. 
the young person asked, Pastor, why doesn't God judge us right after we die? After all, our service in the Lord is completed. Our life has come to its term. It has ended. And now we are with the Lord, even though it's in that disembodied state. Why doesn't the Lord take us one by one at that time and judge us accordingly to those things that we have done in Christ's body, whether they be good or of no value? And as we ponder that for a moment, there's a very good reason why he doesn't. You see, our works follow after us many years after we are gone. I think of Pastor O'Hare. What year did he die? 1958, I believe it was. A great man of God who made inroads for us in the word rightly divided. And though he has been dead for over 30 years, though he is dead, he yet speaketh through his writings and through his tape ministry. Years later, even now in my day, I still receive letters across my desk of people who have been saved by listening to one of his tapes or reading one of his booklets. Others have been brought into a knowledge of the revelation of the mystery by reading his unsearchable riches of Christ. And so many years after his home going, the fruits of his labors continue. And so all of those, even at this late hour, who are still being touched by his ministry, he shall be rewarded accordingly whenever we are summoned to the Bema Seat. But there's another side to that coin as well. Those of us who are saved, and as we know and we've experienced with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that there are some among us who are not always so faithful in the faith. And they depart and apostatize, and some have gone off into extremism. And they have led some of the saints astray, astray and to the side. And as a result of that, they sow discord among the brethren, they've deceived some of the brethren, and they have overthrown the faith of some. And they, even many years after their death, are still having these works follow them. And division after division is caused even years after their departure. And they will have to give an answer for that at the Bema. And so you can see how very important it is to live a faithful life in Christ Jesus. And so here the Apostle Paul instructs us that there is a time coming when we will all appear before the Lord. And we know who the judge is. It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All judgment, according to John chapter 5, has been committed into his hand. And you know, he's the perfect judge. He's the perfect one to do it. Because you see, he left heaven's glory and he stepped across the stars into this world of sin and woe. And he took on the likeness of human flesh, yet without sin. And he was tempted in all points such as we, yet he never sinned. 
And so he knows what it is like to become weary. He knows what it is like to lose a good friend and to grieve. He knows what it is like to be oppressed of Satan and be in a spiritual battle. And so he can easily relate to all of our afflictions because he has gone through many of them himself. When we pause to think for a moment about Christ being our judge, normally we think of him upon the white throne as he will judge the unsaved masses at the end of the world. And indeed, he shall sit there as the judge. But he also is going to be our judge as he sits on the Bema seat. He will be the believer's judge as well. And one might ask, is it possible for one man to judge under both circumstances? Well, indeed it is. We might even see that even in the human realm and in the affairs of men. We might have a Supreme Court judge who will hand down a sentence upon a criminal and condemn him to death. At that same time, as he is exercising that type of judgment, he might be called upon by the Olympic Committee to be a judge at the upcoming 1992 Olympics. And there he is presiding over the events, and as he does so, he is handing out awards for those who are the victors in the certain events that they might be participating in. So one man can judge under both circumstances. And so it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is going to be seated on the Bema seat. And that's the Greek word that is used here in verse 10. It refers to a raised platform. So if you can envision that for a moment in your mind as we picture heaven and the masses and the host of heaven gathered, the Lord will be on a platform high and lifted up, and he will be seated upon the Bema seat. And we shall be summoned one by one. I personally do not believe it's going to be a collective judgment that you should have been faithful, and many of you were unfaithful here. No, no, I don't believe that's how it's going to be. I think we'll be, be called by name, summons right to the very foot of the platform, and it is there that the Lord will speak to us. And it will be determined at that time, as it says here in verse 10, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, or bad in the sense of no value, little or no worth. Now we should add this, that this judgment will not take into account any of our sins. Our sins have already been dealt with at Calvary. It was there that Christ came and died for the sins of the world. And when we cast ourselves at the foot of Calvary's cross where the blood flowed, it is there that we are washed in the blood and we are forgiven of all of our sins. There is, therefore, no condemnation 
to them that are in Christ Jesus. So our sins are not even in view at this judgment, but rather our works and our service after we were saved. This is what is being brought into view. And that brings us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is another portion that the Apostle Paul deals with this subject. And we'd like to begin our reading at verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day, that is the day of Christ, the day of this judgment, shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Here in this portion, the Apostle Paul goes into more detail as to exactly what is going to transpire at the Bema Seat. And we note in verse 10 that the Apostle instructs us that by the grace of God it was given unto him to be the wise master builder and to lay a foundation. Of course, the foundation that the apostle has laid is Jesus Christ, and this is important, in his heavenly ministry. And so that means we must come to Paul's epistles for our building materials to properly build upon this foundation. You see, in your individual life, and even in our different ministries that we have, whether a church ministry or a ministry such as I have, we are all building a building. And there's coming a time when that building and the works and the materials of it are going to be scrutinized by the Lord God Almighty. And so we must be very, very careful as believers that we take this very seriously, for we will give that account. And notice, Paul says, as he has laid this foundation, every man needs to take heed how he builds upon it. And notice the different materials that can be used. Now, if any man, and I think that goes back to verses 1 and 2, that is, any spiritual man or cardinal, carnal man or a babe in Christ, any believer, if he builds upon the foundation, he can use gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the first category. Those would be more permanent materials that one might use. And then we have wood, hay, and stubble. That would symbolize those things that are more temporary and will one day perish. Then in verse 13, every man's work. Now notice the emphasis there is on our work for Christ. Shall be made manifest. And there you can see in that word it's going to be 
brought forth your whole Christian life from beginning to end is going to be brought into view. Boy, that's a solemn thought. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. Gold, silver, and precious stones represent those things that we are building upon the foundation that will last. For example, one comes to a knowledge of the revelation of the mystery, and he has to decide whether or not am I going to follow mainline Christianity and be accepted by the brethren in those circles, or am I going to stand uncompromisingly for the gospel of the grace of God? If he takes the course of sacrifice to stand for this message as difficult as it is, and we know it is, then that's gold, silver, and precious stones. However, in knowing the mystery, if he takes the other course, that's wood, hay, and stubble. Can you imagine standing before the Lord and having your life reviewed and your whole life was built upon the kingdom gospel? Your whole ministry was built upon the great commission. It will all perish. All of those works will be gone because it's wood, hay, and stubble. But you know, I think even more than our doctrinal stand, although that is a major part of this judgment, I think our very thoughts and our actions and our attitude will even be brought into view. Can you see the wife and mom standing at the kitchen sink, washing the dishes. Nobody gives me any credit here. She's thinking to herself now. Nobody cares. Dirty these dishes, wash them, dirty them, wash them, dirty them. No one appreciates what I do. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Now, the woman who's standing there washing those dishes thinking, thanks, Lord, for the food that dirty this plate that my children and my husband are fed and that you've provided once again that's gold, silver, and precious stone you see our very attitudes is even going to be brought into view and notice Paul says here in verse 13 that the day will declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is notice it is a how much but what sort the quality of what we're doing for the Lord also here it's going to be tried by fire and I personally believe that the fire here symbolizes the word of God and you can read more about that in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9 you'll remember how he wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord but he said that the word of God was like a burning fire within my bones and so when we stand before the Lord the scriptures are going to be open and we will be judged accordingly. For doesn't the word of God give us the commands of Christ for the church today? 
We know from Paul's epistles, we're members of the body of Christ, that we have a heavenly hope, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Aren't these the things we are to be believing? And we're responsible not only to know them, but to be proclaiming them to everyone that we come in contact with. The terms of salvation found in Paul's revelation. Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. Shall we go back and teach people, repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins? If we do, we'll find ourselves quickly out of the will of God. That's wood, hay, and stubble in this dispensation. But if you're proclaiming the gospel of salvation in accordance with Pauline truth, then when that's tried by the word of God, it will stand the test. But there are going to be some who are going to lose a great deal. For it says in verse 15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Why is it yet so as by fire? Because the word of God teaches that every believer is secure in Christ. You see, our salvation does not depend upon us, but depends upon what Christ has done for us. It's not based on our actions and what we do or do not do, but rather it's based on the shed blood and finished work of Christ. And so even though some believers are going to lose all of their rewards and reigning position with Christ, they still will be saved by the grace of God because of the blood of Christ. And that brings us to a very solemn thought. And that is how this judgment is going to affect us throughout all eternity. Now, I'm sure you have heard it, as I have heard it many times, where believers have come to us and they have said, well, you know, the only thing that's really important is that I'm saved, and I'm bound for heaven, and I don't really care much about the Christian life. I don't see the importance of living for the Lord, or taking a strong stand, or making all of these sacrifices. What's the point? And we've heard that many, many times at the Berean Bible Society. But there is a point, because don't we want to live well-pleasing unto the Lord? And there's three areas of your Christian life that is going to be affected for all eternity. The first area concerns the Lord and his reward. And that brings us back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. And we want to look at these three areas. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted. Now notice it doesn't say in him but of him. One of the primary goals in your Christian life should be to be accepted of the Lord. Now we know we're accepted in him because of Calvary. But as we begin to live the Christian life, shouldn't we want to walk well-pleasing unto the Lord while we're here and also when we're there? And so what we do now, our faithfulness, the sacrifices that we make, is going to have a bearing throughout all eternity. 
it will affect the rewards that we are going to receive. Now, we don't know the nature of all of these rewards, but I've often said this. If God has a reward to give you, it is going to be something wonderful. We know there are certain crowns that will be given to believers. And you know, my thinking is, as a believer in Christ, is that I want all God has for me. Because I know He has everything that is good and just and right. Is that your heart's desire this evening? So your faithfulness now, by paying attention to the Word of God, by studying these scriptures, by fellowshipping with the brethren, by coming to an assembly such as this to be a part of it, an active part of it, will be greatly rewarded by our Lord at the Bema Seat. Then that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's another area that's going to be affected that most believers aren't even aware of. Did you realize that the degree that your body will be glorified in the resurrection is determined by the works you do for the Lord right now? That's what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 41 we read, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. And let's just stop there for a moment. This is the great resurrection chapter. And it makes you pause and wonder, well, why does Paul here talk about the creation and about the heavens? Because he's about to make a very vital point to us. He's trying to teach us that there's a glory of the sun. And the glory of the sun is greater than the glory of the moon. And the moon has a greater glory than the stars, but the stars differ one from another. So that shows to us that in the resurrection, our identities are going to be preserved and we're going to differ from one another. And the degree that our bodies are glorified will all differ from one another as well. For he goes on to say in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. You see it? So what Paul is saying as you put all of these truths together about the judgment seat of Christ, as you're going along living the Christian life day by day, you're being observed. You're being watched. You're being watched by the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth. And you're being watched by the angelic host. And I personally believe, even though we have the Holy Spirit, that God has angels assigned to us that observe us at all times. And the question has come, how is it that the Lord's going to remember all of these things about us? Well, I've suggested, first of all, God knows all things. He's infinite in knowledge. He can just simply look at us and know our whole lives from beginning to end. But most times I have found the Lord works through his creation. And so undoubtedly the angels perhaps will be summoned at that time 
and they will testify of the things we have done or not done. And then there's our minds. Medical science is discovering now, as they're doing further research, and they are coming to the conclusion that the mind never forgets anything. It stores everything that we take in. The problem is, is our recall of that. And I would have to lean towards that possibly they're on the right track. Have you ever had an experience of running into someone in a chance meeting and you don't remember them and they jog your memory? Remember, I used to sit behind you in college. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't. And then they give their name and then something they did and then all of a sudden it dawns on you. It was there all along. You just couldn't recall it. In that day, the Lord will cause us to have perfect recall. And he will be able to peer right into our minds and know everything we've done or ever said. Every unkind thought. All the different aspects of our attitude. Whether we were gracious or ungracious. Whether we took a stand or did not take a stand. Whether we were compassionate or not compassionate. And as he judges us, and as it comes to the close of our judgment, our rewards will be affected, and the degree that our body will be glorified. And then finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, there's one other area that will be touched. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. Paul says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That is, deny us a higher degree of reigning position. So our actions now will also touch this area. We know we're promised in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 that we're going to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. But there are going to be different realms of authority and reigning position with Christ in glory. And so everything that we do right now will determine where you're going to be seated with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but these things should give rise and cause to motivate us to want to live that sacrificial life for Christ. These few hours and few fleeting moments that we have here on the earth are but a speck of dust on the immense expanse of time and eternity that is yet ahead. And so we must, as Paul challenges us, live faithfully for the Lord because it's going to touch our rewards, the degree our bodies are glorified, and our reigning position with Christ. So you see, it does matter. It matters to the Lord 
because he's given us these instructions to lay hold of and to heed. Will you be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ or have the praise of God's glory? It depends on you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for these wonderful truths found in thy word. But more importantly, Lord, we pray that we might appropriate them by faith, that we might go forth in this wicked and crooked and perverse generation as lights shining forth. May we truly allow thy word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And we pray that it might guide us in the pathway of righteousness for thy namesake. We're so thankful for each and every one who is here this night, who has taken time out of busy schedules, out of different matters that they were attending to, to come and hear the proclamation of thy word. Surely this night, even, will be remembered at the judgment seat of Christ. We're thankful for their dedication and pray thy richest blessing upon each one here. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.